Deferred Sales Trust. You might have heard it thrown around before in different tax saving strategies, but do you really have an understanding on how it can help you defer your tax bill and save your hard-earned money? With all this talk about the government increasing taxes, shouldn't you be more prepared? Brett Swartz is an entrepreneur, capital gains tax deferral expert, deferred sales trust educator, and trustee. He is also the founder of Capital Gains Tax Solutions. Let's just get right down to business. Joe Robert Show. This, this is the Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. Hello, Brett. Welcome to the show. Joe, thanks for having me. I appreciate coming on today. And can you start by giving us some insights into your background before you got into the tax deferral? Yeah, you know, grew up in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, helped my dad build custom houses and and uh, learned to work hard at a young age, fell in love with real estate, cash flow, fell in love with um, being able to be an entrepreneur and have freedom by, you know, creating something that's uh, that's a business or, or, build, or building or buying something that's a, that's a piece of real estate. And, uh, and then I had a chance to go to, to school and play college basketball and love that as well. Love uh, competition and teams and working together. And then from there, I, 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 I began my career at a company called Marcus and Millichap and we learned about 1031 exchanges and how to buy investment real estate properties and cash flow. And, um, but it wasn't always easy, Joe, you know, I, I, uh, I went through a tough time during the 2008 crash. You know, I went from things going really well in 06 and 07 and then everything kind of fell apart and so i found myself at a part a part in my life where all of a sudden i had succeeded on so many levels but then all of a sudden financially i was struggling you see as a real estate broker you either sell a deal and and, and actually you know get paid or or you don't there's no salary there's no benefits so i don't know if you picture this it's 08 and my wife and i were living with my brother in his condo had to move in with him humbly and I did what every good I think entrepreneur does is you figure out a way to make it. And so I'm working 67 hour weeks and I went to a place called Cheesecake Factory on nights and weekends to serve cheesecake. And so by day, I'd be trying to sell two, three, four, five, $10 million properties. And by night, I'd be you know, keeping the lights on at Cheesecake Factory. And so I uh, did that for about a two year period. But during that time too, Joe, my uh, clients were also going through a struggle and they were struggling with how to defer capital gains tax on the sale of their highly appreciated assets, including investment real estate. And the challenge was they didn't have a great, great solution. And then everything crashed. And now all of a sudden their capital gains tax that they had before is now half or some of them lost everything because they couldn't find a good solution to get out in time. And uh, and that's the part where the kind of story picks up and that I learned about something that we're going to talk about today called a deferred sales trust. My manager at Marcus and Millichap brought in a gentleman who's now my business partner, happy to play for the 49ers, and he's also a sports guy, but he's a financial advisor now, and he told us about this deferred sales trust, and it changed everything. It went from, oh my gosh, we could have saved those people, and as far as saved them from having to not sell at the time that they knew they should have sold, and they could have avoided a lot of this pain of having too much debt and not enough liquidity and, and having to fight with the banks. And so that began my journey of applying this for my clients and my business started to grow. And fast forward, um, my wife and I, we have five kids here in Roseville, California, Sacramento, and I've been, I, I've succeeded in real estate and now I just train and coach, you know, high net worth individuals on this deferred sales trust and their trusted advisors. And, uh, that's what we're on the mission to help people escape feeling trapped by capital gains tax jail. 
Well, going through the real estate market in the 2000s, I think was on one side, a great benefit for a lot of us because myself, I've, I owned a lot of real estate and went through that. But I think, you know, learning those lessons at such an earlier age has made us stronger and more aware of what is going on in the future. And I'm sure for yourself that that ultimately led to where you are today and was a great move, right? Yeah, 100%. You know, it, it was a storm of life and I got kicked in the teeth and so did a lot of people. But it's through those storms and those challenges that you gain experience and, and wisdom if you apply what you've learned correctly, right? And that's that's what we, we, we aim to do with what we do here at Capital Gains Tax Solutions is help people to to you know, get liquidity, get tax deferral, get diversification, and, and be able to time the market, you know, and whatever that means to each person, all tax deferred. And and if it wasn't for those those pain points, right, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And it's prepared me to help a lot of people. So let's go into the basics of the deferred sales trust. And what is it? Yeah, deferred sales trust is a manufactured installment sale. And that's a big word for saying the ability to carry back paper and it, and it allows you to defer tax. So the IRS has these different tax codes, stuff like, you know, IRS, you know, 401k or IRS 1031. Uh, they have a thing called, uh, it's, you know, IRSC is actually a better way to put it, uh, 453. And this 453 part of the tax code is known as a seller carryback. And that's the foundation of the deferred sales trust. So let's imagine, you know, Joe, you had a $10 million primary home in Silicon Valley. Let's imagine you bought it for a million bucks, you know, 30 years ago, and now you're about to sell. Well, if you sell that, you're going to be hit with a big, big tax. But guess what? If you sell it on an installment, meaning you carry back paper, you became the lender. Guess what? That tax is deferred until you receive payment. And that's exactly what we do. The difference is we throw in the trust. We find a buyer who's who's got the full $10 million, And this trust becomes the third party that ends up with the cash. And Joe ends up with the promissory note. And therefore, he's in a tax deferral state. The nice part about this is it's been tried and true for over 25 years, thousands of closes, billions under management, and it's been tested by the IRS about a dozen times. And so you can rest rest knowing that it's uh, it's something that's legal. It works every time. It's never failed. And by the way, it works for cryptocurrency, right? And it works for it works for businesses. And in fact, um, we're working on a big deal, which we can talk about here in a minute. But we just closed one in, in, in Palo Alto, an $8.3 million primary home sale. And he felt really challenged because he bought it pretty low and all of a sudden he's hit with a big tax. And if it wasn't for the Deferred Sales Trust, he wouldn't be able to sell it. We just did another one in Menlo Park. We just did another one um, in on Colorado Springs. And so the key is just knowing what your tax is, right? What's your liability? And then how can you defer it? And the same thing is true for the 1031 exchange. These are all different codes of the IRS tax code that give you, if you follow the rules, the ability to create and preserve more wealth as you follow the rules and defer the tax. So for those that are listening and they're sitting there thinking they may have some assets coming up where they could have some capital gain implications, you know, what are the qualifications to be able to utilize this DST? Big question. So our minimum minimum is $1 million uh, of net proceeds and at least $1 million gain. And the reason we have those minimums is because the pain has to be big enough to pay for our services. And so to give you an example, in California, for example, I like to use 37 to 50% of the gain is going to be wiped out by depreciation recapture and capital gains tax. Now, depending what state you're in, 
and your income bracket, a lot of different things uh, kind of come and play there, but that's our minimum. We want to make sure that uh, folks understand that because if it's too small, our fees eat up the savings and we say, just pay the tax. Now, if you had like a couple deals, you know, that add up to that, you know, one or two, you know, 500, 500, then that's fine. So that's who this is for. Again, it works for business owners. It works for S-Corps, LLCs, C-Corps. It works for primary homes. It works for cryptocurrency. It works for artwork, collectibles, right? Just about anything that's highly appreciated. So if you have that, a million dollar gain, and at least a million dollar net proceeds over one or two assets at least, then we're a great fit for uh, for somebody. Hopefully that answers the question, Joe. Yeah, whenever I hear of some tax strategies, why does it always seem to be brewing up out of California, huh? Like all the great tax people I seem to meet over the last year seem to be some type of headquarter in California. Why is that? Yeah, we're on the front lines, you know what I mean? And I grew up here and so I've seen it, you know, I've seen California change a lot in my 37 years here in California, right? And, you know, the business environment, unfortunately, you know, the, the, our leadership has failed us, you know, and and you're looking at leadership that it, they don't do a great job of managing um, wealth uh, or taxes or, or funds, right? And so... California is probably the worst. Maybe New York is right there with it. And and so we we just see the pain, right? And I guess when you see the pain enough and the challenge is enough, you want to solve that, right? And that's that's our passion is solving that challenge and giving people the chance to have a transformational exit plan and transformational ways of, of buying and selling assets. And, and, and so, yeah, that's probably my best answer for that, Joe. That's good. So with the fellow you're working with, uh, with the residents in California, can you kind of walk us through that, uh, you know, for listeners that get understanding of how it works? Yeah. And, and are you referring to the cryptocurrency case we're working on right now? Well, uh, let's do one, uh, one crypto and one uh, r- real estate, please. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's, 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 we'll start with the real estate one. We just did, uh, for our gentleman, he sold a two, this is last week, it closed. It's a $2.5 million uh, multifamily property, and he's owned it for over 30 years, okay? And so multifamily, if you've owned it for more than 27 and a half years you're, and you've taken depreciation, it goes, your basis goes to zero. And so he met with me, and this is about 45 days ago, um, his broker introduced uh, us, and we sat down, and I said, well, why are you selling? And his name is Ross. And he goes, well, I'm just tired of Gavin Newsom, the rent control. I'm tired of the tenants. I'm just, I'm old, you know? I'm, mm-hmm. I want to be out, and I think it's a good time to sell. And I said, well, Ross, I think you're right. I said, well, what do you want to do with the money? He said, well, I like to invest it into you know some liquid investments. You know, Maybe it's just, just conservative stocks, bonds, mutual funds. I'd also like to invest it in some passive real estate where I don't have to deal with all that stuff. Can you do that? And I said, yeah, we can do that. And he said, well, I said, well, you have 2.5 million. What tax would you have? What, what's the tax liability? What's the check you were going to write? He goes, well, about a million dollars. Well, I said, well, Ross, would you like 1.5 million or would you like to use our service and have 2.5 million minus some fees? And he said, well, Brett, what's the interest I would pay on that million to the, to the, to the uh, IRS? And he goes, no, no interest. They charge you zero interest, Ross. And he said, well, that's, that's pretty good. And when do I have to pay back the, ta- uh, the tax? I go, well, as you receive payments, you pay back tax. And he goes, okay, well, do I have to dip into that you know, 2.5 or can I just live off the interest? So you can live off the interest, you'll pay some tax on it. And he goes, oh, 
well, sign me up. <laughs> we met for about an hour and a half and, and he did the deal, right? Because it was really, really simple. It's just math. He could defer the tax and all that extra million, he's going to receive interest payments over his lifetime and he can pass it to his kids. So that's how it works, right? We're basically taking, you know, what would have been a tax. We're going to defer it, move it into the trust, and then you're going to be able to invest and live off the interest, cash flow producing properties, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, a diversified type of portfolio. And for him, it was really nice because he had one asset that was 2.5 million that was sky high. So he's taking that one single asset and he's diversifying into multiple things. So that's the first deal. His name is Ross. Before we jump to the next one is on that one. So when he, when that capital gets parked in that trust, right? And he's getting those payments, is that interest only? Is that part of the principal? When is that deferral of that uh, tax due? Great question. We can structure it however you would like. And some people might structure it with principal and interest. And as they dip into principal, they'll pay capital gains tax. As they live off the interest, they'll pay ordinary income tax. So most of our notes are structured as 10 year notes. These are promissory notes. So Ross has become the lender. He's lent the 2.5 million to the trust, okay? And typically they're structured at 8% interest, compounding over a 10 year period of time, not guaranteed, but that's the goal to go make that return, net of the recurring fees. And as he pays, as he receives, let's say exactly eight, he'll pay, and it earned eight, he'd just pay ordinary income tax. If he wanted to receive 12, and it only earned eight. On that 4%, it would dip into principal and he'd pay capital gains tax on that. So he would just pay a little bit of both depending on what he receives. Now, most of our clients like to structure something like this. Interest only payments over a 10 year period of time. I don't necessarily want or need to dip into the principal. Now, if I do, you always can and pay tax on that, but most will just keep it very simple. Some will even delay payments for a couple of years and say, you know what, I don't actually need any money right now. So like a 401k or an IRA, Joe, you can park funds there and guess what? You're not taking that income now. When do you pay tax on that? Well, when you start receiving it. So we have another client who's selling out of Southern California for a property and they are moving to Georgia and uh, and they don't plan to take any payments from the trust for a year or two until they establish new residency in Georgia and then they'll start receiving payments and they'll pay ordinary income tax based upon Georgia. Uh, we closed, we actually closed a, a another deal in Alabama for our client and that was a $2.6 million sale. And for him, it was nice. He wanted to pivot from being a business owner to building apartment complexes, so a, kind of a different business, but he was faced about $600,000 of tax, so he sold, deferred the tax, and now he's building 70 units in Tennessee, but he's delaying all of the payments from the trust because his income, he's in his 40s, his income is, is really high, He's like, Brett, do I need to take payments? He's like, you don't need to. He's like, can I delay it for four years? We're like, yeah. In the meantime, it's just compounding and building up like a 401k or an IRA. So there's a lot of ways to structure it, but I want to let you know, Joe, that it's adjustable, right? You might start out saying, I don't need any income right now, but then guess what? You lose your job next next year or or your income drops or you know your wife's going to stay at home. And you say, well, Brett, we want to replace that income. Can we turn that income on? Yeah, you can turn it on and then you receive the income, and then you go, well, can we turn it off? Maybe the next year she goes and gets a job now, and her income is back out, and then you can turn it off. So it's you never set in cement, but you work with the advisor and with myself to make sure that it's uh, it's coming out the way that you would like. So what uh, at the end of the 10-year period, what happens? And is there ability ability to renew that? Great question. Yeah, it's the ability to renew. Every 10 years, you can renew for 10 years or renew for 10 years, and then you can pass it to your kids inside of a living trust, and they can step into your shoes, and they can keep this going as well, tax deferred, until they receive payments. 
And so typically, I guess if you're deferring it out, by the time you have to pay that tax bill, you're paying with like inflated dollars in a sense, meaning you're compounding your money at a higher rate and then paying the tax bill previously due, correct? Yes, it all depends in when you receive it and what state of residency you receive it based upon your income that you receive it. So all of those things depend on on your individual circumstance. But yes, as you think of it like uh, any investment right now, you get a 1099, by the way, it's actually an easier way to think about it. All you receive is whatever you received in that given year, a 1099 INT to report to your CPA, right? Based upon the interest that you received. Now, if you dipped into principal, you'd also report that to your CPA and you pay some capital gains tax on that. So it's actually very simple. Matt, all that reporting you guys provide for the clients. Exactly. So we do all the tax uh, prep for all of the trust. We just provide you a 1099 and you get you go to your personal CPA to do that um, on your side. So yeah, it's actually very seamless for you and we do all the back end stuff. Well, that's what everyone wants to hear. No one wants to do any work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But let's go into true. the other side of the uh, digital assets or maybe what's known as sure. cryptocurrency transactions. Yes. And so this is really interesting, right? Because obviously where the market's at and where things are going. And I want to actually start with my own crypto story, right? So this is, I don't know, 2017 is, I think that was the year. Yeah. Everything was going crazy. My brother calls me up and he's like, Brett, you got to check this thing out. I'm like, what? I'm in real estate. What is this thing? He sits down, he walks me through it. I'm like, okay, let's go, right? And then I jump on the you know the train here and not knowing a thing, feel like I was throwing darts, you know, at a board. And and we're all of a sudden things are, you know, going pretty good. But guess what? Everything then crashed, right? And it was like, oh man, I wish we could have got out, you know. Now, the same thing happened for um, an actual live deal right now. And this gentleman is in the tech, tech uh, sector in, um, in technology for 20 years and in Silicon Valley. And so um, I sat down and I met with he and his wife in the Bay Area um, just the last couple of weeks. And I asked him their story. I said, well, what did what, you do here with when you had all this gain? And, they, and, and his wife said, well, I actually didn't even know until he told me a couple of years after he'd been buying it. He goes, yeah, I've been buying it slowly. I was buying this thing called Ethereum, you know, years ago. And I'm like, okay. And tell me more. I mean, well, I had a little bit of Bitcoin, but I thought Ethereum was the future. So I sit down with my wife and we're, it's like our anniversary dinner. He's like, I have something to tell you. And she's like, wait, you're going to hit me with something crazy. You're like, no, I've been buying this thing called cryptocurrency. It's called Ethereum. She's like, what are you talking about? And this is like six years ago or so, or five years ago, something like that. And he goes, yeah, it's gone pretty well so far. And she's like, well, then sell it. And he's like, well, I think there's a future in this thing. And, and, and she's like, what are you talking about? It's somewhere out in the universe. Like we can make the money right now. And he's like, well, let me think about it. And so at that point, the, the value, I don't have the exact timeline, but it was around a hundred thousand that he had put into it. But the, and the value was somewhere around that number, or he, he'd put in like, you know, 20,000, the value was a hundred. Well, mm. fast forward to the kind of like the peak, it's up to 6 million. I think this is around the two seven, 2017 range. And then I said, then what did you say? And she said, I told him to sell it all. And he said, well, I think there's a future in it. And there's always this song <laughs> and dance here, right? Back and forth. And he's like, I don't know if we should sell it all, but he's like, look, we've always wanted to buy a house on Tahoe. He goes, why don't we sell and we'll go buy a nice house on Tahoe, you know, do this or that. So he's like, but give me a few, give me a little bit of time. I'm going to figure out a way to defer the capital gains tax because at this point their basis was a hundred thousand and the value is about 6 million. Well, guess what? He waited too long and then everything started to crash. Right? So then he's like, gosh, you know, I missed, missed the boat. So about 50 days ago, he calls us up and says, Hey, look, we got this thing called Ethereum and Bitcoin. 
and now the valuation is about nine and a half million. Our basis is about a hundred thousand. He goes, would you come meet with me and sit down and walk through this? So we talked with the attorneys, gone through it. I went down, sat with them, and I'm sitting with them. And he goes, well, can you give us some numbers? And I go, well, based upon that number, he goes, well, wait, there's. I go, that's the number, right? Nine and a half. He goes, well, let me check. And he opens his phone up. He clicks on it, and he goes, well, actually, it's at twelve and a half now. I'm like, wait, in just two weeks since you talked to me, he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, so what do you want to do? He goes, well, we want to sell it, but we don't want to pay the tax. We want to defer the tax. Okay, well, what's your challenge? Well, this challenge is about $5 million of capital gains tax liability. So the question was simple. Um, I said, um, I'll call him Mr. and Mrs. Ethereum. Would you like to have $12 million minus some fees, or would you like to have seven after tax? They said 12. I said, well, what would that mean for you guys, right? Like, what's your income? What's your, what, what, does this, what does this money mean to you? Well, we could retire. Okay, what does that mean for? We have two kids. We could travel. We could finally buy that house on Tahoe, right? We, we could do all of these things. And so really what hopefully your listeners are hearing here is the transformation that can happen. Right now, there's 12 millions out in Ethereum world somewhere, right? On the, on the interweb, right? Ethereum's hitting record high today, just so you know. Okay, yeah, it might be 13 now that we see. He might be, he might be up more. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, look, we can sell. And I and he, by the way, we, we can dollar cost average this too. Because yeah. I go, look, why don't we just take some, start with $3 million, start yeah. with a million, whatever you want to start. And then, and then if it goes up more, we'll just keep rolling it to the same trust. But really what we focused on is what it could provide for people. And that's the transformation that this happens. What do they want to do? They want to buy cash flow producing real estate. They want to replace their income right? They want to diversify. They don't want to go through the big, big ups and downs, but also stay invested in Ethereum. So we're not taking that away. We're just taking some chips off the table as they feel, you know, the timing is right. So hopefully that makes sense, Joe. So once you take the, we'll call it, take those chips off the table, whether he sells, you know, uh, you know, a few million or whatever that may be, what are his options then within the trust? Like what is his options to, uh, for investment and kind of who's in control of that? Great question. So the options are are pretty much investment grade securities traded on the New York Stock Exchange, active real estate, and that's my favorite part where you can go buy property yourself, build property, and it has to be business property, has to be investment property, and for business purpose, it can't be a primary. Primary is taxable. So anything that has business, it can be a, it could be a startup company, it could be it could be hard money lending. Uh, as long as it has business or economic substance, is really the rule here. Then it's we can maintain the tax deferral, right? How we get there is a little bit different. We can also do passive investment real estate. So what I love about investing, um, I love mobile home parks, senior housing assisted living, and multifamily value add. But guess what? all out of California, right? Where the, where the values are, are more reasonable, where the businesses are growing and where the, where the laws for, for uh, landlords are much more friendlier, friendlier than California. So that is what we bring to the table and we show you that. Now, you have all of the rights and you have all of the approval. So you have to approve everything. This goes kind of with the control part, right? It's not like you're just giving it up and just wishing for something to happen. No, no, no. You're the, Joe, if it's your deal, you're the chairman of the bank, right? We walk in and I like to say the dream team walks in. We want to be your dream team, right? Of tax profession, expert commercial real estate professionals, and also expert financial advisors. These are all my business partners. And we walk in and we say, hey, Joe, Here's what we recommend, but it's not just a, a guess. Before that, if you're married, Joe, you're going to fill out a risk tolerance questionnaire and show your wife. It's a two-page questionnaire, and that becomes the constitution for how and where the funds are invested. Okay, So we're not guessing. Everything is mathematical. And then we present it to you, and you say yes, no, or maybe, or can we adjust that, or how about this idea, how about that? And then we say, okay, that looks good. Everyone feel good about that? Now you sign off on that. 
This is my role. I'm the trustee. This is important. I'm a third party unrelated trustee. I sign off on that. It's important. If I didn't sign off on it, Joe, it would be selling it to yourself. It would all fall apart. So it's the same reason like you don't own your 401k company or, or your IRA or even a 1031 exchange company. It's third party unrelated, but everything has to be approved by you. Now, it's not unilateral control. Like if it's just your bank account, you can walk in and press the red button to pull all the money out. Right? You've got to walk in, sign the paper, I've got to sign the paper, and then the financial advisor or the banker pushes the red button, right? So that's key. Now I'm a friendly trustee, right? We want to we want we want to we want what you want, right? And we want but we want to also not make sure you don't step on a landmine, right? We want to make sure that you're not gonna get blown up on the taxes or blown up on our structure as well. So hopefully that answers the question, Joe. That does that does. And you know, as I'm thinking of this transaction, you know. Obviously, we're solving for cash flow. We're solving for tax deferral. You know, there's always question about estate planning and kind of passing down assets to our heirs. You know, how can this help those? Great question. So it's important to understand what's happening right now, Joe. And this is for our parents. Right? Our parents are part of the baby boomer generation, right? And as the baby boomers, uh, according to the American Bankers Association, um, they found in a survey that it's. It, in the next 20 years, about 17 to $20 trillion worth of the baby boomers' assets are going to transfer from their generation to our generation. And this is known as the largest wealth transfer in the history of the world. Okay, think about that, right? In this next 20 years. Now, in fact, they also found that there's about 77 million baby boomers in the U.S. alone, and about 10,000 every day are turning 65. So what are they wanting to do? Well, one, they're wanting to preserve their wealth, but two, they're wanting to sell these, these assets. What are these assets? Well, businesses, commercial real estate, primary homes. In fact, those three asset types are, are 50% of the total net worth of America. So they, and what do those do? Toilets, trash, liability, right? Headaches, rent control laws, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff that's going on right now. And they want to sell and retire and or just get some stuff, get some diversification, but they don't know how, how to because of the tax. And so when we walk in, we say, hey, what are you trying to achieve? Where are you going here? And how can we help you get there by using the deferred sales trust, right? So I'm not sure if that's answering your question. Oh, no, no, here we go. So on the state tax part of it. So the other part of that has to do with estate tax, okay? So estate tax is different than capital gains tax. Sometimes these things get confused because people say, oh, mom and dad will get a, we'll get a stepped up basis. By the way, the Biden administration is considering taking away or limiting the stepped up basis, okay? Second, they're talking about taking away or limiting the 1031 exchange. We can kind of talk about that here in a minute. Mm -hmm. But that has nothing to do with the estate tax. So we're working on a live deal right now. This gentleman's worth about $52 million. He's in Texas. He has about a zero basis on a, like on a $25 million ranch, another $25 million deal worth, worth of, um, of mobile home parks, single family homes, multifamily. And his challenge is all of that's inside of a taxable estate. And so what the government would say, if he were to die tomorrow, all of it would be stepped up to a new basis, but it's still inside of his taxable estate. So they will take 40% of anything that's above 22 million if you're married and 40% of anything above 12 million if you're single. So let's imagine he is married and he were to you know, die tomorrow. That's 40% of 30 million, which would be 52 million minus the 22 million. Mm -hmm. That would be a $12 million estate tax. Ouch, right? So the intent is to get it outside the taxable estate. The challenge is people can't get it out fast enough. And the solution is the deferred sales trust. In fact, we just helped a $25 million client who sold a property in Colorado. 
defer uh, not only um, on a $5 million asset, about $2 million of tax, but they also moved about $2 million outside their taxable estate on, on savings. So that's another part of the equation that you want to be considering, especially if you're ultra high net worth, is A, how much is inside of your taxable estate? B, what's your plan to get it out? And C, what does it mean for your heirs if you don't get it out, right? And then that's where the deferred sales trust can come in. We could sell today, defer the tax, move it outside the taxable estate, and that can save a whole, whole lot of money. Does that make sense, Joe? It makes sense. Moving outside the taxable estate is because it's sitting in the trust. Great question. So we have a DST and a DST plus. Okay. So the DST is mostly what we talked about in the beginning. What I'm talking about now is as far as the outcome is the DST plus, but it's a little bit different than just IRC 453. And of course we have NDAs and it's proprietary. Now, biggest question becomes, well, has it been audited? The answer is yes. In fact, one of the biggest deals was in California for a $125 million deal. And that was audited at the estate tax level. And it, and it was um, no change audit, a perfect, perfect track record so far. And, um, and also the tax attorneys provide audit defense. So, but that is a little bit more nuanced and something that people would sign an NDA for. And, and then once, if they have a big enough deal, then we would uh, you know, open up the books, if you will. So that's, uh, that's done and handled on a personal consultation, but uh, can be addressed. And so for those that are, you know, when you mentioned the uh, legal aspect, those that are worried about the IRS coming, kind of how do you, do you guys provide a, a opinion letters or a legal counsel or kind of what's your guarantee? Great question. Yes, there is a PLR, right? A private letter ruling, understanding that those are specific to each individual taxpayer for their each individual you know, circumstance. And so we do have a PLR that was approved in substance and form as it pertains to the deferred sales trust for that particular deal. Now, it doesn't, it's not a blanket deal for everybody, right? So understand that. More than that, though, it's been looked at by FINRA. It's been looked at by the IRS over a dozen times. And during this 25-year track record, all of those were changed as, or closed out as no change audits. And that's really important to understand what that means. So like if Joe and I were to get an audit right now on our business returns, there's got to be a receipt or there's got to be something, Joe, right, that we missed, you know, we didn't quite hit the mark on our expenses or whatever, right? The odds of them not making a change on our audit is like maybe one in a million, right? Now, for these large deals, literally, they're, they're, they're batting a 1,000. I say they, that's the, my business partner, their law firm who created this, CPA tax attorney law firm, and they they have a perfect track record. So not one single issue. And on top of that, there's been three formal audits and the road's called promoter audits. My other business partner, he was the subject of this. And that's a whole nother story in and of itself. But the challenge that they thought, they, they thought we were doing something different, but we weren't. And what actually what they said is, oh, you guys are just doing an installment sale. You have a third party unrelated trustee. They're in it for business purpose. They had not taken constructive receipt, no change. So no issue, all of them, no changes. And so, yeah, and then on top of that, we had, I don't know if there's a, there's a group that you might know of, they're called PIMCO. And PIMCO is one of the largest, you know, um, res most respected money managers in the world. And they they had five guys. There was a guy named Bill Gross, who's like the Warren Buffett of the financial advising world. And then another guy named David Young. And then they had three other guys. And these five guys basically took PIMCO from about 80 billion to about 1.2 trillion. This is about 20 years ago. Very, very uh, respected folks. Well. They retired about 15 years ago, then they kind of got bored, and then four of the five got back together and they formed a group called Anfield Capital. And Anfield Capital, all of a sudden, two and a half years ago, got approached with the Deferred Sales Trust. Now understand, Joe, these people get approached with stuff all the mm -hmm. time, right? And, and people are trying to get them to sell their stuff all the time. And, and they're saying no constantly, right? But 
it piqued their interest. But they're not, this is not something they're going to say yes to in a, in a 30 days or even 60 days or 90 days. In fact, they did a full due diligence for two years, okay, where they slowly got to know um, the co-founders of the Deferred Sales Trust, slowly got to know the, the structure, flew back with their attorneys, their legal team, and, and sat down on a big, big table and mapped everything out for two days, went through it all, asked every question you can imagine, and guess what they found after those two years? They said, not only is this thing legal, but how do we become a part of your inner circle, right? How do we how do we start managing the money for it? We will put our name on this. And so, and these guys are managing money for some of the largest wealth in the world, pensions, endowment funds. And so now they're a part of our inner circle. So the question always becomes, Joe, I can give you all the stats of the billions of, you know, under management, thousands of closes, but the really the big question is something like this. If David Young you know, former VP of PIMCO, part of Anfield Capital, if he does a two-year due diligence with all of his team, if it's good enough for him, is it good enough for you, right? And the answer might be no. The answer might be, hey, I need Warren Buffett to say yes. <laughs> Hopefully, Warren, if you're hearing this, at some point, you will say yes, right? But we have some really, really smart individuals who have been in the game for a very long time who put their name on this, and that's what gives me the confidence, you know, more than just the stuff that I was telling you before. That's good. And so, you know, for clients doing business with you, they, they have you as the team for them, correct? Exactly. That's part of the dream team, right? So I'm not doing this by myself. I'm the trustee. I'm not the financial advisor. The financial advisor is the financial advisor. He's not the trustee. This is, this is important. The tax attorney is also the legal. They're not the trustee or the financial advisor. So all of us are separate, but equal powers. We're like the three branches of government, if you will. Right. But you're like the you're, you're the you're the president. You got veto power, right? You got to sign off. And so all of us are working as a team, and all of us uh, maintain the integrity of the trust by doing that. So I'm thinking, my buddy, he's uh, looking to sell his company this year, and he's partners with two other siblings, right? So can a partnership utilize the DST? And what if the you know what happens if only one person wants to use it? Absolutely. We call this the seamless partnership separation, right? And this is really, really important to understand because a lot of entities, especially in a 1031 exchange, the whole entity must move. What does that mean? Well, if you have two brothers in the same entity, one wants to get out, the other one doesn't, guess what? It's not going to work. They're not going to be able to 1031 exchange, generally speaking, okay? Remember, also, the 1031 exchange only works for investment property. It doesn't work for primary homes. It doesn't work for businesses. Or crypto. It doesn't work for cryptocurrency doesn't work for artwork or collectibles. Whereas the deferred sales trust, we like to say we're like the Netflix versus the old way of doing things like the Blockbuster 1031. Mm -hmm. It works for all of those. In addition, we're the seamless partnership separation. So what does that mean? Well, um, uh, your, your friend, you know, who's, uh, he's got a brother. Guess what? He can do his own deferred sales trust and the other brother can do his own deferred sales trust. His one brother could, you know, take all of his cash and pay the tax and your brother can do the deferred sales trust. So we're not, we're not limited by the whole entity having to go together or having to be commingled. These can be completely severed seamlessly and defer the tax. We can also save a failed 1031 exchange by the way as well, which is really important to understand even past your 45 days of identification. Even if um, you haven't identified this because you don't have to, by the way, we don't want you to be confused with the Delaware Statutory Trust, by the way, which is another form of a 1031 exchange. We are a deferred sales trust. But the point is, partnerships can go their separate ways. We can save a failed 1031. It works for businesses. And yeah, it's a great, it's a great uh, part of, of what we do. While we have 1031 on our mind, you know, for the listeners, what really is the different factors when it comes to the 1031 versus DST? Yeah, great question. So the first thing, like I was saying before, is 
the blockbuster analogy. I want you to think about that, Joe. You know, remember on a Friday night you'd show up and you're all excited about that movie and you see that cardboard box and you see it's like it's pressed out from the from the wall. And you're like, oh, it's got like two movies there, right? <laughs> and, and that's the one you want. But and you're walking up to go get it, but then all of a sudden like two guys just jet right in front of you and they grab it and you're like, what? Like my whole Friday night is shot. But even if you got that movie, guess what? You have to return it within three days, right? And if you didn't rewind it, you get a fee. Well, that's like block. That's like the you know that's blockbuster. That's like the 1031, right? The biggest challenge with the 1031 is it's very restrictive, right? And it's very very limited. So you have to you know sell something and investment property, and then you have to buy something within 45 days as far as the identification, 180 days to close. So you're in this, what I like to call, we call it the shotgun wedding, right? You're gonna get engaged in 45 days, you gotta get married, and that's often when we create poor decisions, right? We're under the gun. And so our parents taught us to sell high and buy low. Joe, they didn't teach us to sell high and buy higher 180 days later, right? With more debt, and more stuff that perhaps didn't make any sense, which is where we believe we're right now in most marketplaces. It's not a good time to 1031. Now, what's the what's the Netflix version of that? Well, that's the deferred sales trust, right? We can sell high and buy low at any time, all tax deferred. In fact, the best deal, and this is the reason I started my company right here, it was a gentleman who I called the Monday morning quarterback. He dropped back and he looked around and he played it perfect. In 06, he thought the marketplace was sky high. He looked around for a property, couldn't make any sense of a 1031 exchange. So what did he do? He sold high and for the first time, and this guy's worth about 200 million bucks at the time, he moved the funds into the deferred sales trust. It's a $20 million asset across the street from Minnesota Viking Stadium. Okay, And he sat there on the sidelines and he put it into it's very conservative, and I say the sidelines, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, the bank. Very conservative stuff and he was just patient and he weighed it. Five years later, okay, the bank calls him up and says, hey, you know that property you sold five years ago? Yeah, well, we just foreclosed on it, okay? Would you like to buy it back? And he says, well, maybe, what's the price? And he said, well, it's, it's about 40% less than what you sold it for. So what did he do? He re reallocated the investments into an LLC, the funds, and then he bought back, this is in the Deferred Sales Trust, bought back that property at 60 cents on the dollar. Say he sold high and he bought low, right? All tax deferred, not using a 1031 exchange. And once you understand that when you make time your friend, right, you have the ability to create and preserve more wealth, right? And so that's the biggest thing is buy high, sell low. And then we already touched on that we can use it for any asset type, cryptocurrency, stocks, public, publicly traded, you know, or private stock, businesses. The 1031 exchange does not work for any of those except for investment real estate. Ours works for primary homes. Ours moves the funds outside the taxable estate. If you do the DST plus, the 1031 exchange does not do that. Those would be the main ones. So hopefully that answers your question. I mean, I think we're answering pretty much everything that I could think of. You know, one thing is uh, when, when that guy buys that piece of property or those other investments, you know, that are those then any gains within those investments now taxable though? Yeah. So good question. Um, so let's just say that property, and in fact, a Minnesota gentleman, right? So he buys mm. it back. First of all, he established a brand new basis because it's a brand new purchase. He did not 1031, which is also one of the downsides of the blockbuster way of doing things. Your, your depreciation schedule travels. So he buys it new. And then when that property goes up and he sells it, what can he do? Well, he can roll back the original amount for the down payment back to the trust. And this new amount, he can roll on top of the trust. Right, so you have one big, big mothership, which is your deferred sales trust, and you can put multiple assets in there: your primary home, your cryptocurrency, your stock, your your investment real estate, and the next deal you do, you just keep compiling and building up this deferred sales trust, right? 
And, uh, and so, so, so the answer is, yeah, you can just keep deferring it. Cool. And, you know, for all the investors that are listening and are out there raising capital, right? Is there any way to kind of partner with these trusts or utilize these investors that are selling their assets? Absolutely. So we, we worked out with a couple groups right now, Ashcroft Capital, you might have heard of them, Joe Fairless, mm-hmm. Dan Hanford, PassiveInvesting.com, Kevin Bupp, and a few others where we're, now we're selling, deferring the tax. And as a part of that allocation, these, these funds, parts of the funds can go into passive investment real estate deals. This is the beauty. We're not using a 1031. It's just a trust investing. And so, in fact, uh, Joe, a deal was Vista 121. It was in Texas, a multifamily property. A client, we saved a failed 1031 exchange out of Georgia. He, he sold a 128-unit property, deferred about $1.1 million of tax, and he put 500000 or the trusted, 500000 into Joe's deal, all tax deferred. And so the answer is yes. It's a great way to raise capital because you're doing it in a tax-deferred manner. Where a lot of commercial real estate syndicators or even venture capitalists, what they're doing is they're saying, sell whatever you have, pay all your tax, and then show up. We say, no, 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 don't do it that way. Sell what you have, defer the tax, and then show up, right? And so, yeah, it can go into venture capitalist funds. It can go to hard money lending. It can go into you know passive investment real estate. It can be active, too right? Which is really important. We're not a Delaware statutory trust, which a Delaware, it's just another form of a 1031. You have to be 100% passive and you're giving up all control and all liquidity and you're giving up to somebody. Um, by the way, I've done Delawares too, by the way. I'm a California real estate broker, multifamily broker, and of course, um, deferred sales trust expert, right? So we've done all of those and they have their place, but the key is you want to figure out what's best for you. And that's by getting clarity on what you're trying to accomplish. So hopefully that answers your question, Joe. I think that's good. I think everything's been great. You know, let's just leave off. What is your thoughts here? Current administration, just tax increases and kind of how last people need to think about the DST moving forward for their situation. Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting times to say the least, right? With Biden proposing to either eliminate or, or, or get rid of or limit the 1031 exchange if you make a certain amount of money per year and or eliminate or, or, or limit the stepped up basis. There's a lot, a lot on the line here, right? With all of that wealth that's transferring and we just want to know that there's legal ways to defer tax. And by the way, um, folks might be saying, well, well, are they gonna get rid of this too? We don't think so, and here's why. You know, we're, we're creating you know, actual taxable income from properties or even think the Ethereum, Ethereum deal, right? You know, he's gonna sell, let's say, you know, let's say it's 13 million at this point, and that money is somewhere else not producing jobs in the sense of maybe what the IRS would say producing jobs, right? and it's not producing tax revenue because they haven't realized the gain, he's gonna be able to sell that, not only defer the tax, and but be able to put it into real estate or businesses or whatever else. So that's why we think it's a win-win for everybody there. But with Biden proposing to take it from 20, by the way, federal to basically 40, you're looking at just astronomical amounts of tax and people want to defer it. So yeah, we've never been busier. We did, we did six deals this month alone. <laughs> you know, our biggest deal is closing on Thursday. And it's just, it's really, really all hands on deck. But we always believe that the, you know, the wealth in the, in the hands of the people, or us, our family, our friends, right? Um, our clients, you know, with our communities is always going to be better spent and invested than in the hands of the government. But yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's where we're at and that's what we're doing. And, and yeah, they have helped, you know, boost, boost our business for sure. I appreciate that. So our final question we always leave off on the show is what is the biggest thing you have implemented in your life that has helped increase your net worth? Yeah. Learn to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. 
And this is a quote by Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N. And he says, if you learn to work hard on your job, you'll make a living and that's fine. But if you work harder on your shelf, you'll make a fortune. And the idea here, by the way, is not just to make a bunch of money, although that's really cool because you can help a lot of people. But the idea is to become everything you were created to be. So I, I'm a Christian, I'm a man of faith. And so I believe we've all been given certain gifts in this life. And these gifts have been given to us to be a blessing and help to our family and others. And when we're using those gifts, right, and we're maximizing the potential of those gifts, those unique gifts that you were given, maybe one or two, what are those things? And when you're maximizing that and then you're helping other people, that is the definition of fulfillment and success. And and you can only do that by looking and working harder on yourself. And then I also believe having faith in God to make sure that you're, you know, you're on the right track moving forward. So that would be my my thought. Learn to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. That's a great one. And how do you how do you kind of measure your own results and your progress? Yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> I would say the health of my marriage is the first thing, right? And so my wife and I've married almost 12 years. And then the health of my children, you know, if they're thriving and being loved and growing and maturing. We have kids from two and a half to 10. And uh, and then the health of my team, you know, my, my, my team members on my staff and uh, and then my strategic partner. So it kind of goes, it goes in that order that how I would measure that, you know, and then of course the you know, miracle morning type of stuff and working out and eating well and meditating and reading the Bible, doing all of those things, you know, and the last part I think I'd add to this would be just be how, how am I seeing conflict or challenges or struggle? Am I seeing them as opportunities to grow or am I, you know, moving to a scarcity, you know, mindset or, or things that are, you know, that, that aren't good for me or my family or my team, right? Or am I seeing these, like, these are opportunities. I'm grateful for these things because now I can grow and now I can make a bigger difference, if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. And for all of our listeners, if they have, you know, a sale of assets that might be coming up and they want to kind of get analysis to see if it's a fit for them, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Thanks, Joe. Yeah, then go to capitalgainstaxsolutions.com and they can also go to YouTube, iTunes and search that as well. We have a ton of free content. We also have a free ebook that they can download, sell your real estate or business smarter. And that's on capitalgainstaxsolutions.com. Now, if you're a business professional and you're looking for this as a financial advisor, business broker, luxury realtor, commercial estate syndicator, you can go to experttaxsecrets.com. That's experttaxsecrets.com. And you can learn about how to use the deferred sales trust to grow your business and add a bunch of value and have a lot of fun doing it. Well, Brad, I appreciate you coming out today and I'm sure business will do well here in the next few years. Thanks, Joe. It's been my pleasure to be on. Enjoy your day. Thank you. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Joe Robert Show.